All right. What do you hate? PT Cruisers, is that what you said? It's not my style, but I mean, do you really hate it? 34 degree temperatures on April the 16th. Do you hate that? Michigan Wolverines. I'm not going to sports. We're not going to go there. A white Easter. Is that, do you like snow on Easter? This, see, some of you are crazy. So I've got a list of things I hate. I'm going to give you a few of them. See if you can relate. Olives. I mean, what, what, what a disgusting taste. Like what? I don't, I don't understand. (laughs) Apparently somebody disagrees with me there. I think we can all agree on this one. Getting sunscreen in my eyes. Especially like when you're out running or working and you sweat and the sweat brings the sunscreen that you carefully apply to your forehead down into your eyes. And then for the next however long, you're like trying to get your shirt because you're afraid the sunscreen's still on your hands and you're wiping your eyes with your shirt trying to get this burning sensation out from your eyes. Yeah, I hate that. Slow drivers in the left lane. That's something the Lord uses to create perseverance in my life and spiritual growth. And yeah, and I don't often succeed. Uh, mosquitoes. Hate mosquitoes. Yep. All right. We're on the same page there. The texture of coconut. Like, you take a perfectly good piece of chocolate and put coconut in it and completely ruin it. I mean, it's really. Yeah, there's mixed. Maybe we can agree on this one. Burnt coffee beans. Yeah. I mean, have you ever gotten up and wanted that cup of coffee just to, just the perfect cup of coffee to, to give you the caffeine that you need to make it through the day, but, but that taste in the morning. And, and you get it close to your mouth and something's not right. You know something's not right. But then as soon as you taste it, you realize, oh, this is not good. It's like... The, it's like the best way to ruin a day. I mean, burnt coffee beans. Having no hot water when it's time to take a shower. I hate that. I'll be honest with you. If that happens some days, I'm just like, forget it. I'm not taking a shower. I just, extra coat of deodorant, right and left guard. We'll move on. We'll keep going. So don't get too close. So I'm just, I took a shower this morning. Don't worry about it. Um, old milk. I don't know whether that was you like old milk or hate old milk. It was just a yell. I don't know. But when you pull the milk out and you take the cap off of it and you get that smell. Oh, yeah. And then what do you do when you get that smell? Like, hey, dude, I think this is old. Will you taste it? Like, come on. Why do, why do, you do, why do we do that to people? This, we love misery, I guess. I don't know. All right. Here's one I think we can agree on. Bed bugs. Some days I just question the sovereignty of God and why he created things called mosquitoes and bed bugs. I mean, like, why? There's a purpose. There's a reason. I haven't figured out what it is yet, but there's a purpose and a reason. Wet socks on a long walk. Oh, yeah. That's not good. Shoes that rub blisters or are too tight. JS this past weekend. Anybody testify? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
couple of you, sure. And then we have things that are a little more serious that we hate. A little closer to what our text is about this morning. Arrogance. Have you ever seen just an arrogant person? You may not hate the person, but you hate the arrogance that is displayed. It just begins to repulse you. Like seriously, do you really think that much of yourself? Abortion. I'll come back to that one. It, it actually fits really well in our text. Drug addiction. Have you ever seen somebody just addicted to drugs that's destroying their life and they won't get out of it? Perhaps they can't get out of it. They just feel like they can't get away from it. And you just watch it destroy somebody that you care about. Doesn't it cause you just to hate drug addiction? Not the person, but what's destroying them? Poverty. Have you ever been to a country where the corruption was so great and the poverty was so great that you see what's happening and it's overwhelming and there's nothing that you feel like you can do to really help the situation. And it just breaks your heart to think about how these people live every single day and how blessed we are. Racism. See somebody saying something, doing something completely mean, completely inappropriate. Your response is, that's not okay. I don't like that. Sin in general. So we think about the word hate. We have to introduce that because of our text this morning. So hate as a verb means to feel intense or passionate dislike for someone. The synonyms are loathe, detest, despise, dislike, abhor. So our text today, as we get to it, will be six things the Lord hates. You don't want to be in those list of things that the Lord hates. If the Lord feels a, a passionate or intense dislike for someone, that's scary. In fact, the Bible tells us that it is scary to fall into the hands of an angry God. As a noun, it means intense or passionate dislike. The synonyms, hatred, loathing, detestation, dislike, distaste, abhorrence, abomination, which is in our text as well, aversion. Proverbs 8.13 says this, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. So we've talked about with our key verse throughout this year, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So what is the fear of the Lord? We've described it in many different ways, that reverent awe before the Lord it's that New Testament version of having faith in Christ, understanding who we are and who he is, that fear of the Lord that leads to wisdom. But in Proverbs 8, 13, the fear of the Lord is described as hatred of evil because we understand then through wisdom exactly what's happening when evil is corrupting our world. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate, says Proverbs 8, 13. So my central idea that I wanna drive home this morning throughout this text, is that the Lord hates self-centered living. Now, I think all of these things that the Lord hates falls into the category of being focused on self and being focused on me and not being focused on others. And so it falls into that selfishness, that self-centeredness, that when I look at my life, I want things about me to be better or I want to exalt self. And it's the exact opposite of what is required for salvation. 
What's required for salvation is that repentance, that humility that says there's something sinful about me that I need to be forgiven of. So I come to the cross and in humility, I humble myself before the cross to repent of my sins and place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That humility is the exact opposite of what we're gonna see in the arrogance and the pridefulness and the lying and the heart that is divisively wicked. All of these things, I think, focus on a self-centered lifestyle. So if you would, Proverbs chapter six, verse 16 through 19. I'll give you a second to turn there and then we're gonna stand and read the text. Proverbs chapter six, verses 16 through 19. We're gonna to read today about six things the Lord hates and then seven that are an abomination to him. If you're able to this morning, would you stand in honor of the reading of God's word? Proverbs chapter six, verses 16 through 19. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. False witness who breathes out lies. And one who sows discord among brothers. Dear Lord, today as we look at your word, would you help us Lord, not to live a life focused on ourselves, but Lord, to love you and to love others well and to have the mindset we find in Philippians 2. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, these verses taken in context continue the theme of what you find in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 12 through 15. When you look at verses 12 through 15, you'll notice there are several different parallels and so in verse 17, you would see that there are haughty eyes. But in verse 13, you'll see the parallel of winks with his eyes. In verse 17, you'll see that he condemns hands that shed innocent blood. In verse 12, a person is called a worthless person or a wicked person. In verse 18, it condemns a heart that devises wicked plans. In verse 14, it condemns a perverted heart that devises evil, evil and wicked plans being synonymous there. In verse 18, feet that make haste to run to evil. Verse 13, someone who signals with his feet or points with his fingers. Verse 19, condemns a false witness or one who sows discord. In verse 12, crooked speech. And then in verse 14, one who continually sows discord. So there in verse 14 and verse 19, you get that common theme of sowing discord or creating strife. Verse 16, the Lord hates and seven things that are an abomination to him. In verse 15, he gives us a warning. And that warning we should take and apply to all of these things is that calamity will come upon him suddenly and he will be broken beyond healing. These seven things are also the exact opposite of what we find in the Beatitudes. In the Beatitudes, Jesus is speaking and gives us a list, a list of things that we should attempt to be but that we can only be through the power of the Holy Spirit and God's transforming word in our lives. Notice the opposition here. Proverbs chapter six, verse 17, talks about haughty eyes. 
Matthew 5, verse 3, talks about those who are poor in spirit. Verse 5, those who are meek, not weak, but meek. Proverbs 6, 17, condemns hands that shed innocent blood. Matthew 5, 7, commends, blessed are the merciful. Proverbs 6, 18, condemns the heart that devises wicked plans. Matthew 5, 8, commends those who are pure in heart. Proverbs 6, 18, condemns feet that make haste to run to evil, whereas Matthew 5, 6, commends those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Proverbs 6, 19, talks about the false witness and those who sow discord. And Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, talks about the peacemakers, those who would bring unity. Verse 13, that we are to be the salt of the earth. Verse 14, the light of the of the world. And all of these things in the Beatitudes happen not for our glory, not because we can look at ourselves or pat ourselves on the back or do good things, but they all occur under the, the guise of verse 16 here, which says, Others may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So back to Proverbs chapter 6. The first five things in our list as we walk through them move from head to toe. Starts at the top of the body, moves down to our feet to describe self centered living unwise living. So we look first at verse 17, where it tells us the first in the list is haughty eyes. What does this mean? It's self-exaltation. It's somebody that has a pridefulness or an arrogance that you can even see in their body language as their shoulders lean back and their head moves up. And perhaps in my mind, it's the person with the glasses who slides those glasses down to the end of the nose and looks at you over the top of the glasses as if to say, you are not in my league. Haughty eyes. We can have a tendency to do this sometimes when we gain new knowledge, when we become educated, when we graduated with degrees or multiple degrees, as it may be, and we look down upon others who just don't know what we know. Oh, you simple person. And in our attitude, we exalt ourselves and we have this haughtiness, this arrogance about us. It's an unbiblical arrogance. It's the opposite of Philippians 2, where we are commanded to consider others before we consider ourselves, to consider others as better than ourselves. This haughtiness looks at ourselves in the mirror and says, I'm a pretty good person. I'm better than you. And we like looking at other people and saying we're better than them. It actually makes us feel good. It makes us feel good about ourselves and our accomplishments. And there's a sense of pride that comes with the arrogance of thinking we're better than somebody else. And it compounds the sinfulness before the Lord who created us all. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The beginning of wisdom is not the arrogance of the self. Proverbs 8.13, which we have already read, marks that the arrogance is the opposite of having the fear of the Lord. Some commentators would say that this is listed first in the list because it is the thing which pushes back the most against true biblical Christianity, against the humility that comes to the cross and asks for repentance. Others would say it's because the list moves from head to toe. So we move from the eyes that are elevated, looking down our noses upon the rest of the world and an arrogance that thinks we know best and nobody else knows as good as we do or can do this as good as we can or is as good an athlete as we are or can play the instruments the way that we can. All of this arrogance in our mind, we move to a lying tongue in our mouth. The tongue, a common expression for speech. This phrase indicates that this person has a tongue that lies 
can be characterized as a lying tongue. This lying tongue means the person has no regard for reality. Whatever the truth may be, it's not important to them. It's what can accomplish the purposes that they desire to accomplish. And so there's a self-centeredness that comes out in lying. We tell lies because we want to make ourselves appear better in a situation, because we want to get ourselves out of a situation, because we want to exalt ourselves. We often tell lies because we're focused on us and what we want and our desires rather than focused on telling the truth in a bad situation. Say whatever you need to accomplish the purposes. There are some people that live life this way. Habitual lying of this nature can even cause a person to lose touch with reality altogether. This phrase is used in Psalm 109 verse 2 where David's talking about someone who just slanders him. Just constant lies coming forward. A lie may win for the moment, but the truth will stand for all eternity. When you weave that wicked web of lies, eventually you will be found out. There's another here in verse 17. It moves from our eyes to our tongue and then to hands that shed innocent blood. In Genesis 9, 6, we are prohibited from the shedding of human blood. To shed innocent blood means that we have already been judged as the blood is innocent. This is not talking about some act of self-defense or something that is a justified offense. This is the shedding of innocent blood. In the Bible, kings have shed innocent blood. People have shed innocent blood when they sacrificed their children to Melech. And in our society alone, we have shed innocent blood. Maybe not us personally, but in the society in which we lived, millions of babies have been killed while still in the mother's womb under the guise of choice. But the odd thing about it is the babies who were actually murdered had no choice. Last Wednesday was a moment where there was a, a nationwide pro-life walkout. Didn't need to happen here. We were a pro-life institution. We believe in pro-life. But across the institutions all across the country, some walked out for 17 minutes to pray for the 10 babies that would be aborted in 17 minutes. That was last Wednesday. We live in a society where we look around and we should say, God would be right and just if he absolutely crushed our society. In our haughtiness and in our arrogance, we look down our noses, we think we know best, we've become wise in our own eyes. And since 1973, we have aborted life in the womb. Life that Psalm 127 calls a blessing from God. Arrows and the quiver of a warrior. The blessings from God that we say, I want no more of those blessings, Lord. And we shed innocent blood. Number four, verse 18, is a heart that devises wicked plans. At the center of this, a list of seven. At the center, moving from your eyes to your mouth to your hands, you see the heart. The heart, as we know from different sermons that we've gone through here, the will, our being, who we are, not just the muscle that pumps blood throughout the body, lies at the center of this list and at the center of a person's physical and spiritual activity. The will, who we are. A heart that devises wicked plans. So examine your own heart right now. Is your heart such 
that you would devise wicked schemes and wicked plans? Do you plot steps so that you can do the things that you know are an abomination or sinful before God, but you're, you're plotting steps to do them anyway because you love your sin more than you love God? Is your heart in such a condition that you constantly seek to devise ways to satisfy your own pridefulness, your own arrogance, your own sense of pleasure, your own materialism, whatever it may be? And here it says the Lord hates a heart that devises wicked plans, a heart, a will that sits down to think about a plan, to put together a plan. This is premeditated activity, premeditated sinfulness. It says that the Lord hates this. And before we look down our nose at other people and tell other people, I'm glad I'm not like those people who devise wicked plans in their hearts, we remember Jeremiah 17, 9, which says the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? This is us. This is me. Days even after reading my Bible in the morning, even after praying and asking the Lord to let me go through to the day and, and glorify Him with my actions and my words, we find ourselves, I find myself, looking down my nose at somebody else. Oh, they just don't see this the way it needs to be seen. And an arrogance and a haughtiness that's not godly. A heart that is so quick to flee from the one who died for me. Number five, verse 18. Feet that make haste to run to evil. The heart devises, the feet implement. Quickly running, rushing to evil. To implement the action desired by our heart, by our will. As if we can resist the temptation no longer. And all of a sudden, as the sprinter starting out of the blocks, we sprint with our feet to rush towards evil. Following our sinful nature. Running away from the God who loves us. We see from our eyes to our tongue, to our hands, to our heart, to our feet that we are prone to do the very things that the Bible describes as God hates. And it's a heavy weight, which causes us to sit in silence before the weight of our sinfulness in front of a holy God. The text moves from the description from the head down to the feet and gives two final characterizations. Verse 19 says, the Lord hates a false witness who breathes out lies. Now, this is one of the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Proverbs 14, 5 states that a faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness breathes out lies, repeating this phrase. The word false here is different than the word lies in some connotation. The word false is a witness who manufactures complete fiction. You just make up a story. Have you ever been in trouble and decided that the truth just wasn't gonna cut it? Perhaps the truth was more unbelievable than the story you're gonna make up. And so you thought, I'm just gonna give it a shot. And you make up something that is completely untrue, that has no foundation whatsoever in reality. I remember trying this a few times. 
I remember walking into a room after I had knocked the glass off and it had spilled on the floor and I didn't clean it up because I was lazy. And mom saying, what happened? And I don't know, the glass just fell. And then you realize that your mom actually went to school too and realizes that glasses don't just fall off of counters. No basis in reality. And yet we do that in our own lives. Number seven, the abomination to the Lord, the one who sows discord among brothers. Now the word brothers in this text can mean a relative. We see that in Genesis 25 verse 26. It can also mean a broader concept of kinsmen. You see that in Genesis 14, 14. The same word brother can mean people from the same country. So this can have a much broader scope than just two blood relatives. We see the same country in Genesis 31, 32. Psalm 133, one says, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Jesus in his high priestly prayer prayed that we would all be one and yet we recognize that our tendency is to divide, is to divide. So Ray Ortland Jr. writes this. He says, quote, when the Old Testament uses this literary device, uh, a number plus a number plus one, so as in three or four, or here six or seven, it is the last item in the list that matters the most. The seventh thing the Lord hates, the one who sows discord among brothers, is the key to understanding all of the other six things. What he hates about the haughty eyes is that their arrogance sows discord among brothers. What he hates about the lying tongue is how it's gossip and slander sows discord among the brothers and so forth. God hates all discord with a passion. That's what abomination means. It turns his stomach, end quote. So discord. What is discord? Discord means a lack of harmony. Now, we're not talking about when I sing in chapel for those of you that sit in the second or third rows and may hear me. It's a lack of unity or sounding together. The harmony means, as some of you know much better than I, the combination of simultaneously sounded musical notes to produce chords or chord progressions that have a pleasing effect. A second definition is agreement or concord, such as peace, friendship, fellowship, cooperation, understanding. So the Lord hates discord. He hates a lack of harmony. He hates those things which divide us. He hates those things which create strife between us. And the list leads up to the point that he doesn't want us to be divided and arguing back and forth against each other because the Lord loved us all in this way that he sent his son to down a cross for us. The Lord created us all in his image so that even though we have divisions, even though we have differences, what unites us should be much stronger than what divides us. And here at an educational institution, we are very good at grouping people. Not necessarily dividing them, but grouping them. Think about what all we do. You have undergraduate programs and graduate programs. You have freshmen, sophomores, juniors, and seniors. You have different majors in different schools. You have liberal arts programs and professional programs among our faculty we divide faculty between faculty and staff. We have tenured faculty and non-tenured faculty. We have temporary employees and permanent employees. We have part-time and full-time. And yet we are all Cedarville University. And the way that we stay unified is by focusing more on what brings us together than the things that push us apart. So the way we stay unified is a strong vision and mission to stand for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ and a unifying concept of the gospel, all working for the same thing. 
So can I issue a caution to all of us? Things are pretty good right now. Things are going well. And when things go well, the devil tends not to like it. I know of nothing happening right now, but I would just caution us to be wise and to recognize we wrestle not against flesh and blood, not against one another, but against principalities and powers. That whenever things go really well, whenever lives are being changed, whenever the Lord is at work, whenever we're growing in Christ, that there is a discord that the devil likes to sow. So let's make sure that what unites us is stronger than what divides us. And here on this campus, it's easy for us to get behind the mission of, for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. But in our country right now, we are pretty divided too, and that's much harder. We look out at our nation and we see all of the discussions over race, gender, politics, and we see vast division. Things that just force us to divide. So when we encounter those discussions, I think our text should indicate to us today, knowing the word brothers and what it means, I want to challenge you and me that when I have those conversations, do I go to those conversations to seek unity or to sow discord? Do I engage in a difficult conversation in such a way that I want to drive a wedge between me and the other person? I want to win the debate. I want to make a good point. I want to drive home a stake into the heart of the other person's argument. Or do I go into it to win a brother and have unity rather than discord? Do I intentionally make harsh or bold statements? Am I tone deaf in what I'm saying? Am I saying things and not even listening to how that might sound to somebody who comes from a vastly different background than I do? Can I challenge all of us to be Christians before we are Republicans or Democrats or anything else in life? To let the gospel be what stands forth and what we hold forward? Can I challenge all of us, even if we agree with policy decisions or things that may be taking place, to be wise about what we're saying and what that may do to brothers and sisters in Christ who come from very different backgrounds? Not to be tone deaf. When it comes to race, I think some of us just need to sit down and have a conversation with somebody else. I'll never forget where this really came home to me personally. I was talking to a friend of mine, a good friend. We cut up and joke, we can laugh. I can say things that might be offensive to some people. He laughs, he can say things that might be offensive to some people. I laugh, it's just fun. And we were going down the road on a trip together. And I said, um, where do you wanna get something to eat? I don't, I don't care. Hey, let's go to the DQ. And this was in Texas. He goes, ah, people don't like me at the DQ. I said, what are you talking about? People like you everywhere. Yeah, smile, it's a million bucks. Great personality. He's like, all right, if you want to go to the DQ, we'll go to the DQ. Dairy Queen, for those of you that might not know what DQ is. <laughs> so we pull into the DQ. I walk in the front door to the DQ, a place I have been many times because let's face it, they have really good ice cream and I like ice cream. I, the rest of the food, I mean, it's whatever. You just got to get the blizzards, right? And turn them upside down and things are glorious in life if you have a good blizzard. I walk in the door with different spectacles on my eyes because I have a buddy with me. And my buddy has said, people don't like me at the DQ. I walk in the door and I see immediately four guys sitting over here at a table. And as I walk in the door, all four of them stop, turn, look, and facial expressions change. 
I'm like, I've never had that happen to me before. We stay for an hour. I don't mention a whole lot to him. We're just cutting up laughing, having a good time. But I realized that I wasn't listening well. And that there's a difference. That's one situation. It's one lesson I learned in life that the Lord had for me at that particular time. I'm not down on DQ. I still like their ice cream and their blizzards. But I was tone deaf. So maybe we just need to listen to somebody. Go grab a cup of coffee. Sit down at Stingers. Talk. Get to know somebody. Even somebody that has a different accent than you do. All right. I'm not trying to sow discord among us this morning. I'm just trying to say to us, when we don't look down our nose with arrogance, when we don't have a lying tongue, when we're seeking unity more than we're seeking division, sometimes it's really good just to listen rather than talk. Last point, and I'm done here. Central idea, let me remind you of it before I make this point, is that the Lord hates self-centered living. So if you're like me, you read this text, and here's what you do. I'm going to make a list. I'm going to grab a hold of my life with some white-knuckled gripping. I'm going to put my inner self-determination on, and I'm going to check off all the boxes on this list because I don't want to do anything the Lord hates. I don't want to be an abomination to him. So I'm going to check my boxes, and I'm going to check my boxes well. And when I get through checking my boxes, I'm going to be pridefully arrogant, looking down my nose at how well I've checked my boxes to see that box one then has to be unchecked. So I read this text, and as I prepare the sermon, and as I look at this, I'm just telling you of my own conviction, is that I read this, and it helps me realize the things I do naturally are things that the Lord hates even when I may think I have good motives in doing them. So how do we live a life when that's the way we are wired? When, when we have factory equipment that is flawed and says return to sender. How do we go through life like this? I think we go through life by recognizing that the Lord hates what we do naturally. But through the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of the cross, through repentance and faith, through becoming a believer, through reading your Bible, through changing your affections so that your affections are not so much self-centered or self-focused, so that your affections are not so much on the things of this world, but so that your affections are on Christ and on the gospel and on what he's done at the cross, that with our affections shifting towards him, then our actions flowing out of a love for Christ are not a box-checking legalism, but it's loving Christ and doing what we please so that of the overflow of our heart, we do the things that we're supposed to do. Not because we want credit for doing them, but because we want to please the Lord who has died for us. So we look at this list and we feel the weight of, oh, that's me. The Lord hates me. Oh, but then we read the rest of scripture and especially Ephesians 2, 4 through 6, which says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he has for us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were full of the sixth thing God hates and the seventh that's an abomination, even when this is all we did, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And these verses should drive us to a new affection for the Lord that died for us, even while we were doing the things that he hates instead of crushing us underneath his foot 
instead of squashing us as would have been just, instead of condemning us to an eternity in hell, our God died for us on a cross and demonstrated love to us in that way. So today, we should recognize that without Christ, our fate is sealed. But God. And we turn our affections toward him. And we seek to please God, not because we need to check boxes, but because he is worthy. So we joy in the power and the glory of the gospel with humility. We seek to be truth tellers. We read his word. We allow his word to transform our minds so that we are not conformed to this world. So that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we live lives that give glory to him. So that as we fulfill the Beatitudes, people look at us and they give glory to God the Father because of the good works and not to us. Six things the Lord hates. The Lord hates self-centered living. So at Cedarville, so in our Christian walk, so wherever you go, let's be people that focus on loving others more than we focus on loving ourselves. Dear Lord, we stand before you today knowing that our inclinations are not good, knowing that we need grace, that we need the power of the Holy Spirit, that we need your word. And Lord, we're thankful for it. We're thankful that you loved us. And so God, help us to learn to love you. And even in ways where we don't, Lord, convict us and reshape our affections so that they are focused on you. So that, Lord, out of the overflow of our heart, we joyfully do things that are pleasing in your sight. And that we learn to hate the things that you hate and to love the things that you love. Being conformed to your image, to the glory of God the Father. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You're dismissed.